The Michigan DNR HuntFish app is your digital connection to all things hunting and fishing in Michigan. Buy, store, and display your hunting and fishing licenses, check your points and chances for elk and bear, apply for the draw, and view drawing results. Access all the hunting and fishing regulations, view your hunter safety certificate, and report your harvest, all from within the Michigan DNR HuntFish app. Just click the app banner at the top of the page for download instructions at michigan.gov hunting. You know what that sound means. It's time for the Michigan DNR's Wild Talk Podcast. Welcome to the Wild Talk Podcast, where representatives from the DNR's Wildlife Division chew the fat and shoot the scat about all things habitat, feathers, and fur. With insights, interviews, and your questions answered on the air, you'll get a better picture of what's happening in the world of wildlife here in the great state of Michigan. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the July episode of the Wild Talk podcast. This is your host, Rachel Leitner, and in today's episode, we'll return to a riveting conversation with the Wildlife Division's Adaptation Specialist, Chris Hoving, to talk about our changing climate and how it's impacting Michigan's wildlife. And then later on, you'll want to stick around for your chance to win a Wild Talk podcast camp mug. But first, a word about our forests. Trees provide for the well-being of our state. That's why we work so hard to keep our forests healthy and abundant. So wildlife has a home. And so do people. So that there's clean air and water for everyone. And so Michigan's economy can be as strong as the trees that support it. Because every branch of forestry ensures that future generations will always have a tree for life. And forests for a lifetime. To learn how sustainable forestry benefits your life, visit michigan.gov slash forests for a lifetime. Welcome back to Wild Talk. Joining Holly and I today to talk about climate change and its impacts to wildlife is Chris Hoving, Wildlife Division's Adaptation Specialist. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. So, Chris, can you tell us a little bit about your role with the division and how you got interested in climate change? Sure. So, my role in the division is Adaptation Specialist. So, I work on sort of do future scanning, looking out at the horizon, what are things that are changing what are threats to wildlife that we might not be thinking about or things that we're thinking about and we just don't know how to adapt. Um, climate change is one of the big ones that I deal with. I sit on several committees at the at the regional and uh, national level on uh, climate change issues surrounding wildlife. And I got into this uh, actually back when I was a field biologist uh, working in southwest Michigan. Um, I had noticed certain impacts to some of the species that we were were managing, uh, both grassland birds. We were seeing some birds that we hadn't seen before, and also some of the the pollinators, like insects and butterflies, were were ha- having declines because of the weather. But it seemed to be different than what we had experienced. And I did a, a little research and sent a a memo to my superior. And you know, as you know, when you show interest in something or you point out a problem, often folks will say, "Hey." Why don't you go solve that problem? And so over time, I got tasked with more and more climate change work. And then um, about 10 years ago, we did a strategic planning exercise and went out and asked, you know, all of our our partners. We said, what are the things that we're we're not doing as an agency um, and what are we doing right? And we heard a lot about what we were doing right. The three things that they said you're not doing, one was you don't have a, a outreach and education team. Um, we didn't have things like these podcasts at that time. 
we didn't have a invasive species program and we didn't have a climate change program. And so that's when we started this program. It was really based off of that that outreach. For those that may not know, can you give us like broad strokes, overview, kind of a definition of what climate change is? Sure. So um, we all know what weather is. You know, it's 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 what you're experiencing, the, the rain, the snow, mostly snow these days. Um, the temperatures, the wind, all of those sorts of things are the, are the weather. And climate is really just the, the long-term average and variability on those things. And often it's measured over 30-year periods. Sometimes it's measured, you know, over, over a decade, over 10-year periods. But it's some long-term measurement of, of the weather. That's really all climate is. And then climate change is when you get, you know, you sort of look at really long time periods and you start to detect that there are changes, you know, the, the 30 years from... 1950 to 1980 are cooler than from 1990 to now. Um, and so that's that's all that climate change is. All right. So so looking at those long-term trends, mm-hmm. how is the climate changing in Michigan and what differences might people notice or not notice? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah how I mean, are we things tend- changing? We tend to notice the weather. It's a lot harder to notice, you know, a, a 30 year, how a 30 year average is, is changing. You know, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old to, to really grasp those changes. Um, and when people think about climate change, they often think about the globe, like, you know, the whole planet warming. But none of us really experience that. What we're experiencing is, is where we live. And here in Michigan, we've had uh, about one degree warming uh, centigrade about two degrees warming Fahrenheit. So we're warming at about twice the rate of the the rest of the world. Um, And that's just due to where we are latitude. You know, most of the warming is happening uh, further north. The other thing, probably the bigger deal here in Michigan is changes in precipitation. Um, We're seeing less snow unless you live in the lake lake effect areas. Um, The lake effect areas are getting just as much snow as they always have. And it's an interesting thing because what's happening is there's the lakes are warming up. So there's less ice. And because there's less ice, there's more evaporation, and so you get more lake effect snow. So even though everybody's getting less snow, the folks in the lake effect area are getting more snow, and it sort of averages out, so they're still getting a lot of snow. And then we're getting a lot more um, heavy rainfalls, you know, the really, uh, the gully washers, the ones that end up flooding highways in Detroit or flooding my basement, you know. Every time there's a, a two or three inch rain event, I know that it was that much because I start getting water in my basement. I have to get out the the pump and, and clean it out. And those are definitely happening. We we have really good evidence. Those are happening about 60% more often than they were just a couple decades ago. Absolutely. I can attest to that. I live here in Southeast Michigan and <laughs> we've had several storms in the last, you know, six to eight years with just like you said, like closing down highways and man, just crazy flooded basements. So yeah, that's, definitely happening and also we don't really see snow down here like we used to not not like we used to definitely not so how do these changes like more precipitation per se uh, like how do those impact wildlife i talked about some of the uh, impacts earlier uh, with you know seeing new birds that we haven't seen before Um, we're also seeing some some turtles that weren't originally in michigan Uh, red-eared sliders are now found in southern michigan they weren't found here before um, so we're seeing some species move north. Um, an, an interesting one um, that many people don't realize is that the uh, possum is really sensitive to to cold, and it was only found in far southern Michigan. 
uh, historically. And now we've got them because it's warmed up and they can survive in the in the winter. Um, we have them all the way uh, up into the UP now. And so that's that's something where, you know, that species has expanded its range. Another thing we're starting to see is waterfowl migrating later. Um, they're triggered to migrate by how much ice and snow they're seeing up in Canada where they're they're spending the summer. And when it gets to be too much, that's when they come south and they're that they're getting that trigger later. And so they're coming south later and they're often not going as far south. They don't get as many waterfowl all the way down to the Gulf Coast. It's probably a, a not a bad thing for for us as long as we adjust our seasons a little bit. We'll see more more waterfowl. It would stink for the, the people down in Mississippi, though. I'd mentioned how la less lake ice means more lake effect. Um, and in the UP, that's that's good news for th things like snowshoe hare and moose. Um, not so good news for things like uh, deer that uh, have trouble moving around when you get too much snow. And then one of the biggest issues we're seeing here in southern Michigan is uh, we have uh, big wetlands on our a lot of our state lands, our, our waterfowl managed areas. And they're kept wetlands with berms and, you know, dikes and pumps. And there's all this infrastructure that keeps it wet and allows us to manage the, the water tables in ways that don't, you know, screw up the crops on the surrounding farmers' lands. Um, but as we get these bigger rain events, um, we're seeing more and more flooding, more and more damage to those. And, you know, then we have to repair them. And that gets to be a, uh, a cost to us just to, to maintain that wildlife habitat. And so that's something that we're we're seeing a lot of and we're having to engineer those things and sort of rethink how we how and where we manage for water on the landscape. Is there any concern about like asynchrony of insect hatches and bird migration? Are we seeing any of those things occurring in Michigan? Yes, we're definitely seeing um, what what that's often called the technical term for that is phenological mismatch. But as as you mentioned, it's really just the timing is is different. So there, what triggers insects to hatch is really how warm it is right now where they're at. And so if we get some warm days in the spring, certain insects are are going to hatch. What triggers birds to migrate, especially the long distance migrants, that is more about day length and you know what season it is. And so they come back. To the same spot at the same time year after year and if it's warming they might miss a key hatch of of insects and we have seen uh some of that uh, here in michigan it's definitely a a concern we're also seeing that play out not just with birds but with other insects and other things that rely on on insects um so bats for instance the the timing of hatches how many insects are available one thing we are seeing as a, a global thing is that there are just fewer insects on the landscape and climate change is one of one of the those uh, drivers also you know land use change and the the use of of pesticides and so on and so forth so what is the dnr doing or how are we responding to the issue of climate change well part of what we're doing is um tracking where different animals are um, and sort of keeping track of sort of what's what's going on in in these areas. And so we'll use things like um, eBird or iNaturalist in the data that's you know collected through citizen science. And we'll use that to see how is migration changing? Are we seeing new birds, new uh, new turtles, for example? Um, and that helps us know what wildlife it is that we're managing. We're also adapting what we do for wildlife. I had mentioned waterfowl migrating at different times and, 
you know, we don't get to set the the dates for waterfowl just ourselves. It's actually a, a cooperative thing with other states and the Fish and Wildlife Service. But they look at climate change and change the dates slightly so that, you know, the the timing of the waterfowl migration isn't completely out of sync with the hunting seasons. And then we're also doing, uh, right now we're doing a systematic check of all of our water control infrastructure, all those dams and dikes and gates and pumps, um, especially in the northern part of the state. Uh, we have a surprising, surprisingly large amount of that infrastructure up there. And we're going through and systematically looking to see, has are things damaged? Um, do they need to be repaired? Are they still providing the, the wildlife benefit um, that they used to be? Or can we maybe remove them and rely on, on beavers, which weren't on the landscape when we were building a lot of these things. And so we're doing sort of a strategic analysis to try to right size our wetland management, given this big change that we're seeing in uh, flooding regimes. Have there been any like any models done or any any predictive uh, work that we've done to kind of look at what species might be impacted the most or or which ones might be able to adapt? Has any of that work been done too? Yep. Yeah, that one that work was done. Um, I mean, it's 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 ongoing, sort of tracking what research is being done in the in the scientific community. But we did our own analysis um, internally in partnership with the Michigan Natural Features Inventory and looked at all of the game species that we manage and all of the non-game species that we manage, all the the wildlife action plant species. Ended up being about 500 species and we used a tool developed by NatureServe to look at each species and rank it on 27 different criteria of ways it might be sensitive to climate. And then that gave us sort of a a sense of which species are going to be most vulnerable, which species are going to be least vulnerable. And then because we had those 27 factors, we could also turn it around and say, what kinds of climate threats are affecting the most species? And so what we found was about 40% of our game species have some vulnerability to climate change. You can think species like uh, snowshoe hare, deer, waterfowl. And then about 60% of our um, species of greatest conservation need are our action plan species. Uh, about 60% of those were also vulnerable to, to climate change. The big drivers for that were changes in hydrology. And so it really is that increasing precipitation. Um, temperature was more of a, a minor threat to our species. It was really all about water and wetlands here, here in Michigan. So thinking about climate change, is there anything listeners can do to maybe either to help wildlife adapt to climate change or to help, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if we can prevent it at this point, but is there anything we can do to kind of lessen, lessen the impact of climate change? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one because people often feel like, you know, there's nothing that, you know, what can I do? You know, there's, there's seven, 7 billion people on the planet that sort of, sort of share responsibility for, for this issue. And, you know, you're, you're only going to have one seven billionth of a effect. Um, in, in that sense, there are some things you can do for wildlife, though, um, that, that would be effective. And so I recommend two things that, that most people can do. One of them is helping us and just helping you know what is in your area. A lot of people, you know, can only name five to ten wildlife species that live around them, you know, in their neighborhood and nearby parks. 
Um, but there are probably hundreds of of species out there. And so using something, um, I got into using an app this this summer called Seek, S-E-E-K. Um, it's developed with iNaturalist. And it's a great little thing. You just point the, the phone camera at something with the Seek app, app open, and it tells you, not always, but usually tells you what species it is. And that's, that's a good way. And then you can send those to iNaturalist, and that helps us know which species are where on the landscape. And that's that's going to be useful for for managing wildlife in a changing climate because it's it's going to be dynamic. It's going to be changing. Um, the other thing that I often recommend to people is to either let a corner of their property go wild, just stop mowing, stop doing anything to it. Um, not the whole property because then you get, you know, citations for weed ordinance and things like that. You don't want to do that. But a little part of it, um, especially if you plant a little garden around the front of it, um, that's a, a good way to provide some wildlife habitat. And it creates stepping stones through the urban landscape for a surprising number of species, um, migratory birds, small mammals, um, all of your insects and pollinators, um, planting. The other thing you can do if you don't want or can't leave something wild is just planting a small um, or large uh, native plant garden. Um, that that's going to have that that same effect. And so those are two things that, you know, as species, you know, possums can move across the landscape really easily, but it, it's harder if you're a, a butterfly or something. You need to have those stopping points where there's there's nectar available. So that's something that's that's really helpful. Um, so are there any um, additional resources or where could people go to learn more or find uh, more information on climate change and wildlife? So there are a couple different uh, places to go for for that information. Um, if you're looking for information on climate change in particular, um, like you know how is the climate changing or what what is climate change, a good one online is what's called the Great Lakes Integrated Science and Assessment or GLISA. So it's like the name Lisa with a G on the front. I mean, just look that up online. Um, but they're part of of NOAA, um, so part of a federal agency, but they're run through Michigan State and University of Michigan. And so they have good local information and they sort of take all of that difficult climate science and boil it down to something that everyone can understand. So I definitely recommend if you're just interested in the climate part, that's a, a good one. Um, probably the place that I go for information on like wildlife and what you can do as far as like wildlife management would be the Northern Institute of Applied Climate Science. Um, and they've done a lot of work of trying to translate all this, you know, climate adaptation literature and science into something that that managers and everybody else can can use and sort of figure out, you know, what would be a good tree to plant now in my neighborhood? Um, you know, what, what's going to thrive over the next 200 years? It might be different than, you know, what uh, is growing here right now, for example. And so they've got, you know, they've got tree lists and things like that on on their website. And I guess the last place that I'd look because it's got really good information is the national climate assessment and you can look that up it's redone like every five years and they sort of take a scan of all of the climate change information across the all, all the science that's been done in the last five years and then boil it down into a document that's that's pretty easy to understand and that's sort of where i go and when, when i'm hearing stuff that i'm like now is that good science is that is that solid you know i want to go to some place where you know it's really been vetted um really well and the national climate assessment is is vetted through universities. And so it's, it's something that I trust. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your insights into the complex topic of 
of climate change. So thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. Michigan.gov slash DNR Trails is your destination for trail maps, trail etiquette, and trail closure information. Trail information for biking, cross-country skiing, horseback riding, hiking, off-road vehicle riding, snowmobiling, snowshoeing, and even water trails for kayaking and canoeing are available. While you're there, remember to check out information about pet-friendly recreation, track chairs, and the Iron Bell Trail. All available at Michigan.gov slash DNR Trails. Now is your opportunity to win a Wild Talk podcast camp mug. As a thank you to our listeners, we'll be giving away a mug or two every episode. Our June mug winners are Jason Van Heck and Linda Kirsty. Check your email as we'll be getting in touch with you soon. They answered the question, what Michigan bird species has an upside down brain? That bird species is the American woodcock. Now, Woodcock's eyes are extremely large and set high and far behind on its head, likely so that it has a panoramic vision to easily detect potential predators. Now, as evolution pushed the Woodcock's large eyes farther back into its skull, something had to give anatomically. So a Woodcock's ear openings are now set under the eyes instead of behind, as in most birds. And its cerebellum, the part of the brain that handles muscular control, is no longer where it is in most birds, at the rear of the skull. It's ended up under the rest of the brain, just above the spinal column. An adaptation to its environment has essentially turned the woodcock's brain upside down. Bizarre little critter that is super fun to watch. Now, to be entered into the drawing this month, you'll want to test your wildlife knowledge and answer our wildlife quiz question. What native plant species do Carner blue butterflies lay their eggs on? Email your name and answer to us at dnr-wildlife at michigan.gov to be entered for a chance to win a mug. Be sure to include the subject line as Mug Me and submit your answers to us by July 15th. We'll announce winners and the answer on the next month's podcast, so be sure to listen in to see if you've won and for the next quiz question. Good luck, everyone. Michigan conservation officers are working hard to protect and keep the outdoors safe for current and future generations. If you witness a natural resources violation, you can call or text the Report All Poaching hotline 24 hours a day at 1-800-292-7800 or fill out the complaint form available at michigan.gov rap. If you would like more information on becoming a conservation officer, click on Become a CO at michigan.gov slash conservation officers. Well, thanks for joining us on the latest edition of the Wild Talk podcast. Remember, if you have questions about wildlife or hunting, you can call 517-284-WILD or email dnr-wildlife at michigan.gov. We'll see you back here in August for a fresh episode. This has been the Wild Talk podcast, your monthly podcast airing the first of each month and offering insights into the world of wildlife across the state of Michigan. You can reach the Wildlife Division at 517-284-9453 or dnr-wildlife at michigan.gov.